hello. So glad you guys are with us. Want to also welcome those of you who may be joining us online or joining us from another campus, maybe West Ashley or Manning. Glad that if we can't all be in one place at one time, at least we can all be together as one big virtual Seacoast family. So great to have you all with us today. If you weren't here with us last week, uh, then you don't know this, but last week we had a guest. Last week, Tim Tebow was in the house, did an amazing job for us, and everybody wants to clap for Tim Tebow. I know, I know. I wonder if people say last week, Pastor Adam was up and everyone starts clapping. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that happens. It's not the same. But last week, Tim came, did a great job of reminding us of the hope and the new life that we can find only with God. And I, you know, I get it. I understand what Pastor Josh was trying to do by having Tim Tebow up last week and then me up this week. I mean, it was, I just saw right through it. He was trying to put people up who have you know, back to back who have roughly the same size bicep. It was obvious to me. It was just, it was very plain to see. So I saw right through that. And I, but I thought you might laugh. And so I went and I talked to my friend, Tim. I said, listen, Tim, I can see that, you know, you and I have a lot in common physically. And so would you mind taking a picture with me so that I can help my friends connect the dots? And I could tell that at first he felt a little insecure. I mean, why wouldn't he? You know, it's me. And so I tried to encourage him. I said, listen, Timmy, it's going to be okay. You know, we're just a couple of guys who look, you know, pretty much the same physically. Like, it's not a big deal. And finally, he came around. And so this is me and my pal, Tim. I wanted to show it to you. So that's ridiculous. Like, there was another one with me and him with our, with, with our shirts off, but HR said that was inappropriate. It's, not, it's like they don't know me at all. And so, but this is me and Tim, and what concerns me here is like, I, some people say, you know, I had a waffle as big as my head, or I had a steak as big as my head. His bicep is literally as big as my head. It's not a joke. And there are muscles on his bicep that don't exist on mine. Like, what's this thing right here? I, that might be a tumor. He should get it checked out. I don't know what that is. I was concerned. What can I say, though? I mean, like, I don't really lift weights. It's not my thing. I know that doesn't surprise any of you. I don't really lift weights. I, I surf when there are waves. I swim when there are no waves. That's just kind of my deal. But after taking that picture and looking at it all week, I've lifted weights three times this week. I presently can't lift my arms above my head. But I did. I lifted weights three times because I'm coming for you, Tim. I'm right behind you. Right behind you. We do that, though. We, we do that in our lives. We sometimes see our situation in a way that can be discouraging for us. And I think Tim probably felt that way as we were taking that picture. He was like, how am I supposed to measure up to Adam? Like, I, I can imagine he wrestled with that deeply. But in our lives, we see ourselves. You weren't supposed to laugh at that. I heard it over here. <clears throat> in our lives, we can see our situations and we get discouraged by the challenges that surround us. Like, that's just a normal thing. I think that applies to all of us. And I think in 2020, we all know a little something about feeling surrounded by challenges. Would you agree with that? It's been a challenging year. In fact, over the past several weeks, I did some informal research. I asked about 75 people to answer a question for me. Really, I asked them to fill in a blank. The question was, in 2020, I have felt surrounded by, and I wanted them to fill in the blank. Now, I got a variety of answers. 
Several people said, I have felt surrounded by good friends and family. And I was like, take it easy, Pollyanna. Not everyone's had such a great year. Settle down. Most people, about 90% of you said things like, I have felt surrounded by negativity. Anyone agree with that? I have felt surrounded by injustice. I think people have felt that one. I have felt surrounded by anger. I have felt surrounded by violence. These were all answers that were given to me. And then the number one answer, the one, the one that recurred most often was, I have felt surrounded by uncertainty. I think we all would resonate with that one a bit, right? I, and incidentally, one person said, I have felt surrounded by jerks. And that person was my administrative assistant who I work with every day. I don't know what to think of that. I feel like I'm going to have to explore it with her later, but that was her answer. But today I want to talk about somebody who knew what it was like to be surrounded by challenges, surrounded by challenges. For the last few weeks, you know that we've been in a series called Royals, where we've been looking at different kings in the Bible. It seemed appropriate for us as our nation is preparing to elect its new leader. And so if, if we're looking at the kings in the Bible and being honest about it, most of them were a big problem, like a really big problem. Who became king and what they did after they became king, it was all a bit of a circus, not unlike it is today, unfortunately. And so we started the series by looking at Saul, King Saul. He was the first king. And then after King Saul, we took a look at King David. And after David, Solomon became king. And after that, things really went off the rails. For the nation of Israel, because Solomon had two sons and they both led so poorly that the nation of Israel was divided in two. There was Israel in the north and Judah in the south. They just completely fragmented. It was a mess. And if you look at each of the nations, Israel, in the north, Judah in the south, they both had 20 kings in succession. Israel was 0 for 20, not one good king among them. Judah wasn't that much better. They were only eight for 20. And today I want to look at one of Judah's eight good kings whose name was Hezekiah. I want to tell you Hezekiah's story. It's an amazing story that we see unfold in the Old Testament. Now, Hezekiah ruled about 700 years before Jesus, just, just so you can place it in history. And we're told that Hezekiah did right in the eyes of the Lord, which that's the Bible's way of saying he was a good king. He led the people well. He did a lot to help move them closer to God. He tore down some of the idols that had become prevalent in their culture. He helped reestablish worship in the temple. He did a lot that helped people move closer to God. In fact, just a few verses later, we read, there was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before or after him. But about 14 years into Hezekiah's reign as king, he found himself in trouble, big trouble. You see, at this time, Assyria was the most powerful and dominant kingdom in the world, and they had the most formidable military that had ever been assembled. There was no nation they weren't able to conquer. And so their preferred military strategy, just to give you an idea, was to besiege a city. That's the word we see in the Old Testament. And that meant they would completely encircle it. And unlike most armies at the time, their army was big enough to do it. They would, this was their preferred strategy of taking over any place. They would roll up on a city, 
completely encircle it on all sides. And then they would just wait there for the people to become so discouraged that they gave up. Or if they dared come out, Assyria would just pound them because their numbers were so great. And so this is what happened to Hezekiah. 14 years into his reign, the Assyrians fully surround Jerusalem. And as king, Hezekiah would have to deal with this. And here's what I want to do today. I want to talk about the benefits of being surrounded by challenges. Now, I know that might sound strange to you because that doesn't sound like a positive thing at all. But from the life of Hezekiah, we're going to see that there are indeed benefits to being surrounded by challenges. We may not like being surrounded by challenges, but there are things that happen in our lives that wouldn't otherwise happen without those seasons. So the first benefit of being surrounded by challenges in our lives is that it helps me see who I am. Being surrounded by challenges reveals who I am. C.S. Lewis says it like this. Surely what a man does when he is taken off guard is the best evidence for what sort of man he is. Surely what pops out before a man has time to put on a disguise reveals what is true about him. I don't know about you guys, but I think he's dead on. I think he's right on the money. In times of great stress, when we feel surrounded, when we feel threatened, we find out who we are. Sometimes, whether we want to or not. To give you a picture of this, I got a little experiment over here. Now, I want to show you. You guys are familiar with eggs. You know all about eggs, right? So if you take an egg and you surround it with enough pressure on all sides, we all know what happens here, right? Like just enough pressure and the egg gives way, right? Well, the reality is that you and I, we're not so different. You take us, surround us with enough pressure, and all of a sudden, we're quite like that egg. We very quickly find out what's on the inside, don't we? Everybody get that? Here, hold this for me, will you? Oh, that was a fake egg. Just making sure all of you are awake this morning. You know, I was looking around the room. I was like, who can I toss this to? And I saw these three young people up there. I'm like, he'll catch it. No problem. He'll, ca he'll catch it one-handed, but he got it. Well done. Good job. All right, so when Hezekiah felt threatened, when he felt surrounded by this Assyrian army in Jerusalem, he did something that very few other kings did. The text tells us this. When Hezekiah heard this, he went into the temple of the Lord. After more bad news about what Assyria was planning to do, it says this. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord. And then later in his life, when he found out that he was going to die, it says this, then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Do you see the pattern? There's a pattern here in Hezekiah's life. When Hezekiah was surrounded by challenges, he turned to God. It's part of what made him such a great leader, his willingness to constantly turn to God. So the question for us becomes, when we feel surrounded by challenges, when we feel threatened, what do we turn to? Are we turning to God or are we turning to something else? You know, the easiest way for us to figure out what it is that we might be turning to is to ask yourself this question. What do I instinctively reach for in moments when I feel surrounded? When I feel threatened, when I feel surrounded by my challenges, what do I instinctively reach for to cope with that situation? 
For some of you, it might be something as easy as like Netflix or social media. Anybody done that? We, we find ourselves just looking for something that'll help us numb out. I wasn't looking for a show of hands. Some of you raised them. Sorry about it. I should have prefaced that. But we, we look for a way to just totally numb out. And so Netflix, social media, that provides, some, it provides a way for us to do it. Some of us reach for a substance or a pattern that can be quite destructive in our lives. Some of us reach for a relationship that we put far too much pressure on. But whatever it may be, the question is, is it addressing that deep unsettledness within you of feeling surrounded by your challenges? And my guess is that when we're being completely honest with ourselves, the answer is no, it's not. Hezekiah had a habit of turning to God. And we're about to see how that helped him. Because the second benefit of being surrounded by our challenges is that it reveals who God is. Reveals who God is. The king of Assyria, we've talked about him a little bit, but his name was Sennacherib. And he had to learn the hard way who God was. Because after he had encircled the city of Jerusalem, he got started on a major trash-talking campaign. Like all kinds of trash-talking to Hezekiah and the people of Jerusalem. And he said this, speaking to the people of Jerusalem, Sennacherib said, do not let Hezekiah deceive you. He cannot be delivered from my hand. Do not let Hezekiah persuade you to trust in the Lord when he says, the Lord will certainly deliver us. And then he elevates this. After throwing some shade at Hezekiah, he, just starts, he starts to trash talk God himself. Bold man, this, this Sennacherib. He says, do not let the God you depend on deceive you when he says, Jerusalem will not be given into the hands of Assyria. Surely you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the countries, destroying them completely, and yet you will be delivered? Did the gods of the nations that were destroyed deliver them? In these taunts, in this trash talking, we can see that Sennacherib has made a huge mistake. It's a common mistake, really, but Sennacherib has believed that Hezekiah's God, Israel's God, was the same as any other God. And he would soon find out that was not the case. If you read on, just a few verses later, the text says this, that night... The angel of the Lord went up and put to death 185,000 in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up the next morning, there were all the dead bodies. So Sennacherib broke camp and withdrew, something he'd never done before. He returned to Nineveh and stayed there. No more trash talking. He was done with that. Sennacherib learned the hard way that there was only one true God, all the others are counterfeits. They appear to be something we can put our hope in and our trust in. But in the, at the end of the day, when we find ourselves surrounded by our challenges, we realize quickly they are hollow. They are just hollow. Now, that's what happened in the end. But, but there's a really beautiful moment in this story that reveals God's heart. It shows us who God is, and it's easy to miss because it unfolds over a few chapters. But when Hezekiah found himself surrounded by the Assyrian army in Jerusalem, Hezekiah, along with all the people of Jerusalem, were filled 
with complete despair, super discouraged, terribly frightened, as you could imagine. Now, remember, these were Israelite men and women who had heard the stories. They had, they had heard the stories from their ancestors about what it was like to be a slave back in Egypt. They knew those stories well. They did not want to go back there. And they knew the Assyrians played dirty. They knew that when they besieged a city, it was common for them to take every man of fighting age, anyone who could possibly resist the Assyrian army, line them up, put a hook in their nose, and then run a rope in between each man through the hook. And then they would take that line of men, parade them out of the city in front of all the women, the children, and the elderly as their way of saying, this is who you put your hope in. This is who you trusted in. And look at what we've done to them. This was their effort to completely humiliate and totally discourage those they were overthrowing. So they knew the Assyrians played dirty. And for Hezekiah and the Israelites enduring something like this, that would have felt like slavery all over again. It would have felt like slavery to them all over again. And I have to wonder if the question didn't go through their minds, will there ever be a time when we won't have to fear being somebody's slave? I think some of us feel that way. I think we feel that way in our lives. It's different, but in a way, it's kind of the same. In those moments where we feel surrounded by our challenges, we might ask ourselves, will there ever be a time when I won't be a slave to my fear? Will there ever be a time when I won't be a slave to my guilt? Will there ever be a time when I won't feel like a slave to my anger? Will there ever be a time when I won't be a slave to these pills or to that bottle? Will there ever be a time when I won't feel like a slave to my shame? And like Hezekiah, we feel great despair. So let me offer you a picture from Hezekiah's life that is sure to encourage you. Hezekiah knew that he could not defend Jerusalem against such a massive army. And so remember what he did. Remember what his pattern was. He turned to God in prayer saying this. You alone are God of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Listen to the words Sennacherib has sent to ridicule the living God. Now, I've already told you how this ends. An angel, the angel, it says, from the Lord comes and destroys this massive Assyrian army in the middle of the night. But listen to Hezekiah's words. Give ear, Lord, and listen. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Now, bookmark that for a second. Because I want to jump ahead years later when Hezekiah was an old man and he'd become ill. And he was told by the prophet Isaiah that he was going to die. He was deeply discouraged about it. And so what did he do? He turned to God in prayer again. And here's the amazing part. Hezekiah turns to God in prayer. The text actually says he wept bitterly in prayer. That's the literal translation of it. And here is the best part. God responds to Hezekiah by saying this. I have heard your prayer and I have seen your tears and I will heal you. Now we hear that I will heal you and grab hold of it. But 
Here Hezekiah is again surrounded by a challenge that is greater than himself. And God responds to him using exactly the same words that Hezekiah had prayed years earlier. When he was surrounded by the Assyrians in Jerusalem, he cried out saying, give ear, Lord, and listen, open your eyes, Lord, and see. And here, when Hezekiah was surrounded by death, God himself responds to Hezekiah saying, I have heard your cry and I have seen your tears and I will heal you. Same words in exactly the same order. And I don't think it's a mistake. It's almost as if God is reminding Hezekiah that he is still the same God who saw his fear when the Assyrian army had him surrounded in Jerusalem and he sees his fear now. Though the circumstances of Hezekiah's life have changed, his God has not changed. Our God has not changed. Some of us need to hear that today. We need to hear that the same God who protected Hezekiah when he was surrounded in Jerusalem knows when you and I feel surrounded too. And he's inviting us to turn to him that he might show us who he is. So the first benefit of being surrounded by our challenges is that it reveals who I am. The second benefit of being surrounded by challenges is that it reveals who God is. And here's the third one. Third benefit of being surrounded by challenges is that it reveals who I was meant to be. Now, remember, I shared with you earlier that Hezekiah reestablished worship in the temple. This was important. This was really important because the people had become distracted with all kinds of idol worship at the time. But it was also important because bringing the people back to the temple for worship would bring the people back together again. And that, that was not true of, of where they were at this time in their lives. But before he could reopen the temple, he had a lot of work to do. The temple had been basically abandoned. And so he would have to prepare the temple all over again. Then he would have to go find the priests because they'd been run off by those who wanted to worship their idols. And so the text tells us this, that right away in the first month of the first year of Hezekiah's reign, he opened the doors of the temple of the Lord and repaired them. And he brought in the priests. Then we're told early the next morning, King Hezekiah gathered the city officials together and went up to the temple of the Lord. And after this, we read, Hezekiah sent word to all Israel and Judah and wrote letters to Ephraim and Manasseh, inviting them to come to the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem. So first it was the priests, then it was the city officials, and then it was a broader invitation to all of Israel and Judah. And here's what's interesting to me about the invitation. It went out to some very different groups of people. Remember, Hezekiah was in Jerusalem. He had already begun to eradicate idol worship in Jerusalem. But these people were elsewhere, and that, had, that was not true of them. Many of them had not yet turned back to God. Some of them were still quite violent and ruthless with each other. And so when, when Hezekiah sends this larger invitation to all of Israel and Judah, it's interesting that the writer here singles out Ephraim and Manasseh. Basically, what they're saying is Hezekiah invited everyone, even the worst of them, like Ephraim and Manasseh. Here's the point. Here's the point we can't miss today. 
These people weren't all on the same page. They did not believe the same things. But turning back to God would be the thing that would bring them back together again. Now, I want to give you some really important context here. This temple that we're talking about, that everyone was invited to, it was built by Solomon 200 years earlier. And when it was built, it was done in total silence. If you've seen pictures of the temple in Jerusalem, it is hard to imagine how something that large could be built in silence. But in 1 Kings 6, we're told, in building the temple, only blocks dressed at the quarry were used. No hammer, no chisel, or any other iron tool was heard at the temple site while it was being built. So what this means is that the stones that were used to build the temple, that were laid one on top of the other, they were dressed, prepared off-site by a master builder. It's where all the scraping and breaking and chiseling would have been done so that when they came back to the temple, they could fit together. Now that word dressed in Hebrew is an important one. It's shalem. It's different from what you're familiar with in shalom. It's a different meaning, different picture. Shalem means made ready to come together in peace. These stones were dressed off-site by a master builder so that when they arrived at the site where the temple would be built, they would fit together in peace. And any stone that did not quite fit together was sent back to the quarry site where in the hands of a master builder, it could be reshaped, reformed, so that it would then fit with the rest of the stones. Now you can read on in the New Testament if you want to. First Peter chapter two, we're compared to living stones. Peter knew this story. He knew the context that we're talking about. We're not just talking about stones here anymore. We're talking about you and me. Here's why this is so important for us right now. We're not always going to agree on things. We're not always going to be on the same page. In fact, in a few days, we're all going to go stand in lines where we're probably going to vote differently from one another because we may feel differently on issues from one another. That's got to be okay. It's got to be okay. The problem is not that we disagree. The problem is that we've allowed disagreement to create division. And that division is now so significant that people are giving up on relationships. They're giving up on their churches. I would ask for a show of hands, but I don't need to. I'll bet all of us know someone who has given up on a relationship because they didn't share the same belief system that they have. And and you may think, well, listen, come on. I I have principles. I've got principles. I've got a baseline set of beliefs that if you don't subscribe to, we really can't be in relationship or fellowship. And I would say this, I I hear you, but I don't see it in Scripture. I don't see it anywhere in Scripture. Consider the prodigal son who asked his father for his inheritance and then ran off and squandered it. His father loved him. 
when they were on very different pages. Consider Zacchaeus, extortionist tax collector. Jesus loved him when they were on very different pages. And if that's not enough for you, consider us. God loved us while we were on very different pages. In Romans 5, Paul tells us this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still in open rebellion against God, he loved us. While we were still on very different pages, God sent his one and only son and allowed him to die in our place. Listen, if if your principles are causing you to give up on relationships, if your principles are causing you to give up on your church, then I would suggest to you they're no longer principles. They're just your pride. That's all it is. Unfortunately, it's inside all of us. Because if the people of God cannot come here to his house and fit together, be joined together in peace, then we may need to let God take us back to the quarry. We may need to let God chisel away, the master builder scrape away and chisel away at some of the hard edges in our lives that keep us from fitting together with his people so that we can be dressed, shalem, made ready to come together in peace. Listen, I I know that we're all feeling surrounded by challenges in our lives, different kinds of challenges, and especially now in this weird season that we're in. But if we let them, these challenges can help us rediscover who we were meant to be. We were meant to be the body of Christ, joined together by our faith in God's promises. We were meant to be the body of Christ, joined together by the mercy that each one of us has received from him. We were meant to be the body of Christ joined together by the hope that he is now and forever will be our unchanging king. If we will embrace that identity, then we'll be able to say with Hezekiah what he wrote in Psalm 48, where he said, for this God is our God forever and ever. And he will be our guide, even to the end. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that despite the chaotic circumstances we find ourselves in, despite those seasons where we feel surrounded by our challenges, you are still our unchanging king. We're grateful, Lord, that while we were on very different pages, You sent your son to die in our place that we might experience the abundant life that you promise us. Lord, I pray that you give us the courage to wrestle with that in whatever way that we need to, that we might live into that new life. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.